In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. This is episode 55, or 56 actually. Are you a rogue learner with Jenna Reich? It's kind of interesting as I sit on the platform about to jump into 2022, and I must say, you know, it's with mixed hesitation and eagerness, I find myself coming out of an overwhelmed season not only just a demanding schedule, but also one that I want to escape and go into retreat mode. So I found myself just with a heavy work schedule. I sent my book to the editor in November. The kids were in the thick of not so fun parts of school and we created some much needed family time the last few weekends and we're scurrying around to take one last adventure to round out 2021. And I will be rounding out 2021, both hiking and reviewing what my editor called the red fairy dust that is lining the pages of my manuscript. Yes, for those who don't know, I am embarking on a new adventure, writing a book, and I'm in phase two of the edits preparing to launch this work of heart, I'll say. I don't know if it's a work of art just yet, but it's definitely a work of heart out into the world, which will be a new adventure for 2022, publishing a book. And there's two things you can do to help me. Since we're in this early phase, so if you're someone who would like to pre-read the book, give me feedback, help me launch the book into the universe, you can sign up to be on my launch team. The pre-read is a great opportunity to see the behind the scenes process of writing a book, if at all you're interested in that or just curious about it. You'll also offer your thoughts and feedback on design, title, narrative, flow, and the launch team simply helps review and share the book. So it can be as little or as much time as you want to invest. I have a link in the show notes. If you're interested in doing that, you can sign up at OrdinarySherpa.com backslash read. Again, the link is in the show notes. But if that's not your thing, if you're not into reading or writing a book and that's not at all what you're interested in doing to support me, that's okay because there's another great way that you can support me and that is by writing a written review for the podcast. A written review shows other podcast hosts and media whom I will be making guest appearances on in 2022 that you are finding value from this show. And a lot of the content, while it's not directly related to the podcast, it's more about designing a life of adventure with kids. It does have similarities to the podcast. And so if you would be willing to do that, there's a tutorial on how to leave a written review. Again, the link is in the show notes, but head over to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash review. One of the impetus for this episode, though, was over the years, and even as I was writing my book, I came to the realization that I'm different. And I don't have the same goals as my peers. I think differently about social problems than some of my colleagues. I didn't necessarily put adventure on the back burner to have kids or to excel in my career. And yet for so much of my life, I was advised the same way as everyone else my age. I participated in the same classes and I was guided down the same linear path of learning that millions of others my age have experienced. I didn't necessarily have the language to articulate my thoughts or to frame out ideas into a defined pathway. 
And quite honestly, if I mapped my journey right now, it would probably look like a tangled strand of Christmas lights with only half of the bulbs working. You know, more of my approach was I'll just figure it out. And I'm still curious about hundreds of different things, which is what inspired this episode. I'm very much in the thick of this exploration now with my own kids. Our children all attend public school and my husband is a public education teacher and we've been doing a considerable amount of supplementing and testing what homeschooling education might look like and determine how we might support a different approach to education. I hope this episode sparks your curiosity about how people learn, different approaches to learning, and a mindset to learning that many might not have been exposed to. Jenna is an experienced educator who's worked in a variety of schools, including public, bilingual, and private schools for neurodiverse learners. Her observations in the classroom led her to question the efficacy of classroom learning environments and how we can do better. Her efforts to individualize instruction for each of her students was impossible to achieve in the confines of the system, and she became numbingly aware of the impossibility of that quest. During this time, she also began raising two children of her own, which gave her another perspective in the world of learning, facilitating, and supporting her own kids in their learning pursuits. Her life experiences and research into child development and psychology opened the doors to self-directed learning, requiring her to trust and support her children's unique approaches to learning. She hopes to inspire her children to stay curious and follow their interests wherever they may lead. Her ultimate goal is to raise two curious humans who know how to learn and all while building a strong community who can join her in the journey. I am so excited to have a rogue learner guru, Jenna Reich. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. And I know we've talked, but just to let people know, both you and I have a background actually in public education as teachers. And I personally just found the system to be, for lack of a better word, constricting. I'm curious, though, what led you to explore other forms of education, other approaches to education for your kids? Oh, my goodness. Well, that really started actually when I began my teaching career because I didn't start out teaching in a public school. I did my student teaching in public schools. But right out the gate, I started teaching at a school for gifted kids. And let's just say the teachers had a lot more freedom in how they taught and how their day was structured. And so right from the beginning, I kind of had a great experience using different forms of learning environments and teaching practices. So I kind of had in the back of my mind that, you know, there's not one right way to educate anybody. Everyone is kind of unique. And so when my kids were born... And they started to be their unique selves as they as they tend to be. I realized what works for one doesn't work for the other. And so right from the beginning, we kind of started them out in different schools, schools where I just felt like they would really thrive. But eventually we made the decision that public school in its entirety just was not working for our family. And so both kids were homeschooled for the last year. And recently our daughter decided she wanted to go back to school. So she's in a school, but it's also quite alternative in comparison to a traditional public school. That's fair in terms of the overview you've given. I know we're going to dive deeper. I am actually still surprised even when you were walking through like different alternative schools, different... I personally have had a couple of different interactions, I guess, with approaches to education. You know, I've done self-directed. I've done experiential learning. I've actually even done adventure education. And so it's always interesting, project-based learning. You know, there's so many different ways 
that people learn, not only how people learn, like the kinesthetic, the auditory, those types of things, but the approaches even to education. So I'm just kind of curious, and I know this is a big question, so (laughs) feel free to answer it how (laughs) as specific or as broad as you want, but just as someone in my shoes, so I'm someone who's considering homeschooling, what even are the options in terms of how might I educate my child? What are some of the approaches that are even out there that I might want to research? There's so many. I mean, it ranges from basically replicating traditional school at home. So having a curriculum and sitting down every morning and you have these specific subjects that you learn and this is what you do. And, you know, this school day starts at this time and ends at this time to our approach, which is probably the um, other side of the spectrum, which is identified as self-directed learning. Unschooling is what it's called for some people. And that is much more, honestly, it's not really an educational philosophy per se. It's more of a a relationship or a communication style with, with your entire family. It's basically built on respect and autonomy. So kids are given a lot of space to choose what their interests are and what is important for them to learn in their lives and how they want to learn it and from who they want to learn it and when. And they're just, they're basically given free reign to design their lives as they see fit. And the parent's role is more as the supporter and the overall I guess, resource finder, you know? Mm -hmm. So my role is basically that anything that they tell me they want to pursue, I try my very best to find ways for them to about it. So, you know, an example would be recently my daughter wanted to start doing something in the lines of theater. So yeah, we, we researched different theater companies in our area. And then I gave her all the websites to look over and, you know, explore the classes. And we kind of did that all together. This is something that you do in tandem, Mm -hmm. you know, tandemly. And yeah, then we make the decision together and we try it out. And if it works, it works. Or we, you know, we're flexible. We can try other things if that's not working. And, you know, it's very fluid, very flexible and incredibly individualized. I mean, you can't get more individualized than that, really. And I'm sure there's a lot of questions and I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole because I think people (laughs) I just want to expose people because you actually taught me that this was a thing. I I had heard of unschooling and road schooling and world schooling and all those things. And I think the premise of kids actually will innately learn what they're interested in learning. They don't need to be forced fed a curriculum, so to speak, was something that was like, oh, really? Like kids are motivated (laughs) to learn. It was so eye opening to me. And somewhat I feel a little bit kind of foolish for the fact that, of course, they would like my kids are already doing these things. They they pick things up and explore them based on their interests. It's not because I'm showing them something that makes them interested or motivated to learn about it. Exposing them, of course, is important. But I think it's been just a fascinating journey for me to realize like, oh, kids will innately learn something regardless if it's taught to them in a formal education system or if they're personally motivated to learn it or interested in learning it. And that whole journey has just been so fascinating for me. Yeah, I was just going to say, and you know, Heidi, the thing is, what really actually got me over the hump of like being afraid of, you know, giving children free reign over everything was 
looking at myself, like as an adult, how have I gotten to where I am? Like, what are the things that I've learned on my own because I was motivated to do so? I mean, I can't even list them all, but, you know, cooking, gardening, my photography business, my podcasting, my blogging, all of those things were completely done out of my own intrinsic motivation and my desire to do so. And I had like a specific goal in mind of how masterful I wanted to be at any given thing, right? So I'm not a master gardener by any means, but I know how to grow a few things. (laughs) And I think everybody, kids included, you have these desires innately built in if you're human. You know, you want to learn how to read. You want to be part of society. So anything that everyone else is doing in society, you're motivated to learn because you don't want to be left out. It's just a communal desire, you know? Right. Well, and it bucks the system a little bit. And then that's not necessarily what I'm all about is like just breaking rules for the sake of breaking rules. But this idea that there's a a benchmark at third grade, and if you don't hit that reading benchmark, you're going to fail in life. I'm like, that is so false. It's so wrong. Yeah. Or the reverse that like, if you hit the benchmark, then you're going to be successful. Right. Because I went through school and got straight A's my entire school career, all the way through college. And at the end of it, I was like, okay, I think I'm pretty mediocre at a lot of things, but (laughs) I certainly didn't feel like I was a genius or a remarkable in any way in any subject, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I would agree. I was a you know, above average, you know, I wasn't like a C student, I was AB. But I think that's funny that you just assume that because someone gets good grades there, it's not like a free ticket to anything. (laughs) So no, yeah, I love the fact that this is just challenging kind of the societal norms around academic achievement and, and some of those things. So tell me then, how did you get to this place of you talked a little bit about your own fear and like, oh, I can overcome this. Was this something that your kids were just not doing well? I don't want to say that, but how did you get out maybe of the previous system that you were in? If I'm so I'm going to pick up the story maybe we're in Germany. Let's let's talk a little bit about how you got to Germany and the system there and what you were exposed to and and really what led you to leave that system. Yeah. So we moved to Germany in 2014 because we were looking for a way to allow our kids to experience the other side of their heritage. So my husband is German and he like from Germany. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, people will say like, I'm Irish. And <laughs> oh yeah, no, he's legit I don't mean German. Like, <laughs> he is German. Yeah. So we wanted them to learn German. We wanted them to be around their relatives in Germany and experience the culture so that they could actually get a real, real life experience with it. The original plan was we would just go for three years and then see where we're at at three years. And so three years came and we decided to stay. So anyway, fast forward and the kids were in sixth grade and fourth grade. And a couple years before that, I had had this like longing to homeschool and it mainly based around the fact that we were in Europe And I just felt like there was so much history and so much experiential learning that could happen if they weren't hunkered down in a classroom all the time. In Germany, you're not allowed to take your kids out of school for any reason except for like sickness or sickness or sickness, (laughs) pretty much sickness. So you're not allowed to just go on a trip that's actually illegal. So it was really confining. I mean, we were just 
I don't know. It almost felt like the airlines had a monopoly over when people went on vacation because they knew that they could only go on a vacation mm-hmm. at a certain time. So, you know, it was expensive. And anyway, so I was really interested in it and thought about doing it, but it's not legal in Germany to homeschool. So I put that aside for then and kind of forgot about it. And then in sixth grade, my son started to, well, he first started to exhibit a lot of stomach aches. And we went through the whole thing, like going to the doctor, getting tests done, lactose, just every kind of test you can imagine. And it was getting worse and more frequent. And I was having to pick him up from school and there was nothing physically wrong with him. And so it just was strange to me. And I had done some research and I found that kids can actually get really bad stomach aches from anxiety and stress. So I already had that in my mind that maybe that was part of the problem. And then COVID hit and he was staying at home and they were doing online school and the stomach aches disappeared then I, it was pretty obvious that that was the culprit was just the stress and the pressure from being in school. And he was just a different child, completely just happier. He was sleeping better and we had a much better relationship. I mean, before that, I felt like I didn't really get to know him. Mm -hmm. He was at school from, he left at 6.50 every morning. And a lot of times my husband woke up with him to get him ready for school. And so I didn't see him in the morning. And then he got home around 4.30. And then a lot of times he had homework and studying to do. So it just, it felt like we weren't really a family anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I just missed him. I thought this can't be this just can't be it. You know, he's going to be gone in a few years and this is, this is our lives together right now. And just didn't seem right. And then alongside that, my daughter was having a lot of just social problems in school and it wasn't really obvious. It was super subtle, just girl stuff being cast aside or being talked about or being friends and then not friends and best mm-hmm. friends and then not best I mean you know the yeah. whole girl fiasco not to say that it doesn't happen with boys but she was starting to lose a bit of her creativity and she also the german school system is hasn't changed much in 100 years and it's very very classical education, just like memorization and mm-hmm. tests. And and she's a very creative child. And she just, over the years, I just kept seeing the light burn out a little. She's just a little less fun and happy and spirited. And she became less enthusiastic about drawing and singing and all of the things that made her her. She just was a little bit less of. And I don't know if that was because she just didn't have time to devote to those things anymore or she was just tired after being in school all day. I'm not really sure, but it was it was sad to watch that transformation occur. And anyways, she they both were out and I just figured, okay, how can I hang on to this? How can we just how can we homeschool from now on? Yeah. And we made this crazy big decision to move to England as a kind of compromise between going back to the States and living in Germany, just staying European based, but having that opportunity and the ability to homeschool and my husband being able to stay with his his employer. So that's what we did. We moved our entire family to England and we homeschooled for the rest of 2020. So like March through the rest of 2020 and then into 2021. Yeah. 
And now you're back in the States. And now we're back in the States. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that in just a second. I think the piece that you mentioned was an experience I think a lot of parents had. And I don't know, I don't want to speak for a lot of different parents, but the idea of being home with our kids, forced to be home, to see them in a different light, it really opened my eyes as a working mom who was, I'm a career track woman and have never stayed home with my kids other than, you know, the six to eight weeks during maternity leave. And we go on vacation a lot, but I'd never spent that much time with my kids. And it was a gift that I was seeing them just do things that I I don't normally see. You know, it was exposing me to so many things that I was like, oh my gosh, this season of my life with my kids this age, it's going to end. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to not wonder. I hate regretting anything in life. And so I feel like if I don't jump on this, if I don't really jump in and embrace what I could be doing right now, then I'm I'm going to regret it. And so that's part of my, maybe it's just my own personal guilt as a mom. But I was just seeing that there were so many opportunities that weren't available at school that were really available at home. Things that we could do as a family, things that I was seeing them do. You know, like you said, that light in your daughter was getting dimmer. I see that too. You know, I was just seeing they weren't as excited about the stuff they were learning. In fact, as we talked about homeschooling, they're like, no, we don't want to do it. And I was like, well, no, it's not like online COVID homeschool. (laughs) This would be something different. And so I really had to work hard to start to expose them to what it could be because so many of us have an idea of what is school, right? Or what is learning or what is education. And so my goal, I think, is really to expose not just my kids, but even my husband. My husband's a public school teacher at this point. What's possible? What could we be doing? And what might homeschool look like for us? So I really appreciate you just walking through that journey because those were some of the signs I was seeing too and not really knowing what to do with it. Yeah, it's tricky too because I think a lot of fam, you know, there were, there were, I think parents in two different camps, like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to have my kids home. And then the other one's like, I can't get anything done because I'm constantly having to help my kids with schoolwork. But that's shed a really, really unfortunate light on homeschooling because homeschooling isn't that. It's not online school. It's not you trying to scan homework in to the teacher every day and email this and that and back and forth. It's not at all like that. Our (laughs) days are, it's like a yin and yang, you know, like I have things that I have to do. And in that time, my son's kind of self-occupied doing his thing. And we've found a rhythm that works for us. And obviously that's what every family would have to do for themselves. But it also took away a lot of the interactions that we had, we were forced to have because of school. So for example, a lot of the conversation and the interactions and the communication that my son and I experienced was like, have you done your homework? Do you have your bus ticket? Is your backpack ready? Have you showered? Like, yeah, you have deodorant on. Like those were like (laughs) our big ticket conversations. And when we started homeschooling, it was like, hey, what do you want to do today? And hey, how did you find park day? What friend did you like playing with the most? Next month, do you want to try out this pottery class? The conversations became really fun and really surrounded by positive things rather than constantly nagging at them. And 
I think if you go into homeschooling thinking it's going to be like school, then yeah, it could be a real drag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can get into how I would recommend people start out and what that bridge between the decision making. Yeah, let's go there. Okay. Something that many people don't take the time to do, but is probably the actual most important thing, absolutely necessary, do not skip it, mandatory thing that you should do. Have I made it clear that you should do this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is, it's called de-schooling. And basically, de-schooling is just like permission to not do anything. That's really all it is. It's time for the parent to do their research, find out Look at the research, read books, and I, I have like some recommendations that, that I can give you, but actually find out how people learn. Get used to that, learn about it, spend time thinking about it. You'll have a lot of paradigm shifts in your thinking because you'll be surprised probably when you start digging deep and asking some questions, like reflective questions in yourself, like how you actually learn things. And then let the kids just be. No agenda, no school, no nothing. They just get to do whatever they want. And they get a time to decompress, relax, reset. And the most important thing about de-schooling is connection. Building a good relationship with your child. If it's kind of been tarnished, like I say, based on your experience of, you know, rushing them out the door and fighting over homework and maybe grades even, just reconnecting, mm -hmm. you know, building that communication back up, trusting them, showing them that you trust them to make their own decisions and being comfortable with them, just vegetating, allowing them to have space. Because the important thing about de-schooling is it gives children the time to figure out what they love again. Because I, I don't know if you recall or experienced this. I certainly did. But I got out of high school and I didn't really know what I wanted to major in because I didn't really know myself <laughs> that well, you know, because I had been told, okay, these are the things that you do in your day. These are the subjects you need to learn. This is important. This is, you know, everything is laid out for you. Yeah. So a lot of times kids just need some time to figure out, again, like, what do I like to do? How do I want to spend my time? What do I want to learn about? And it does come. And generally, the rule of thumb is that for every year your child was in school, they need one month equivalent to de-school. So let's say your child was in school for six years, then you need to give them about six months to de-school. Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah. To answer your question, what was life like after high school? I, I did everything I thought, but I was yeah. supposed to do. You know, I don't know that I ever even let my voice be recognized in what I wanted to do. It was, oh, you're good at this. You should do this. You should do this. Or, oh, here's an option. Here's a really good career that makes a lot of money. You should go do that. You're smart. You should, you know, it was like, I never even gave my voice a vote in mm -hmm. the process. I just listened to everybody else and quickly went down that path because I didn't want to waste any time. You know, I wanted to hurry up and make money or to hurry up and I don't know what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> Quite honestly. Yeah. I, 
I was doing what I thought I was supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, we all do. I, I feel like that's, you know, the consensus. I mean, from all the people that I've interviewed on my podcast and all the parents I've spoken to in the homeschooling community, that seems to be the majority of people's experiences. They just checked all the boxes, they dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, and then at the end of the day, we're like, where am I? <laughs> what yeah, am I doing? Exactly. And so for kids, I mean, if they've been in school, then they have a very schooled mindset. And they, I mean, my daughter, for example, we didn't de-school. This is why I'm like really, really adamant that people de-school because I didn't really do it successfully or the, the length of time that you should. And I really regret it because my daughter had an expectation of what homeschooling should look like based on what school looks like. So she still has a very mm -hmm. schooled mindset. She thinks that learning only occurs in a classroom when you're sitting down on a chair and a teacher is instructing. And it's difficult for kids, just as it is for parents, to reset their mindset about it. Like, that isn't how we learn, actually. I mean, it can be one way that we learn, but it's usually not a really effective one. Yeah, Exactly. So you have done now a year of homeschooling with both your mm -hmm. son and mm -hmm. your daughter. I know your daughter's back in mm -hmm. a school. Give me like a view. You mentioned some of the activities, some of the things you were learning. How did you, you know, Ordinary Sherpas, you'd mentioned already like about connection. So there's obviously a family connection time, but then how did you connect with other families in the process. And that was probably hard because of COVID, wasn't yes. it? Yes. So that, yeah. our year of homeschooling was not ideal. I don't think it's probably the worst case scenario, honestly, which is part of the reason I think my daughter just wanted to go back to school because we didn't have a very traditional homeschooling year. You know, usually homeschooling looks like homeschool co-ops where parents are sharing classes. So for example, parents will teach a class on, let's say, art, like they'll do an art project with the kids. And then another parent will do like science experiments or maybe math tutoring or something. And you kind of share the responsibilities of, of the learning. So those exist. There's college classes. There's obviously the normal clubs and things that kids can join. And then most of the time you can find a group near you that just meet up for fun. So just like a play day. Um, and so both countries we've done homeschooling in England and here, we joined a homeschooling group. And we just met once or twice a week and let the kids play free. It's We call it park day. And so we just choose a park every month and the kids get to have uninterrupted, full autonomy play for hours as long as they want. And how old are your kids? Because now I'm imagining, like I can see that happening very easily with elementary age kids. Does it change when they're in middle school and older? You know, I, that's a great question because I really thought it would and I thought it was going to be really challenging. And like in England, I think my my kids were a little more apprehensive because they kind of stood out. They were like they had American accents and they didn't really like to be standing out. But here in the U.S., it's completely different. My son went for his first park day and I was kind of like, what are they going to do? But homeschoolers are just different. They I can't describe, you have to go to a meetup and like see it for yourself. It's just so <laughs> unique. But we classify kids by grade level and in homeschooling that doesn't exist. So there is no like, oh, you're in elementary school, you're in middle school. It's just you're a kid, you know, and you either like the kid or you don't like the kid. You know, there's no like, 
it's not determined by age. So what I find is there's a lot of age mixing, which is one of the great many optimizing conditions for self-directed education. You want that staggered age mixing because mm-hmm. it's really developmentally helpful for for both the younger and the older child. And so anyway, they they usually participate in like a big game and they'll invite everyone to participate. So, and this is just all child-led, like parents are not coordinating any of this. So they play like capture the flag or they play tag or hide and seek or, you know, any of those games. And then sometimes the older kids just want to be alone. And so yesterday at park day, one of them got a board game. They got Monopoly out of the car and they all sat down and played Monopoly for two hours. And it was just mostly the middle school and high school age kids. And the little kids were on the playground, you know, on the slides, playing with their Barbies and their trucks and their, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but they're all kind of still, they're all together. They're all interacting with one another and learning from each other, but they find a way. I love that. I think that you already questioned, you can see how the schooling is working in me, right? I'm thinking already about categorizing people and just naturally in life, we do that. But not many people, like I personally don't like to be put in a box. I don't like to be categorized based on how old I am or what I'm supposed to be doing at this age. So I think it's interesting that kids really will naturally work against that too, if you let them. Yeah. I mean, for my daughter, she's a great example. Her two best friends are 15 and she's 11. It's just that's the type of child she is. She loves these like deep, mature conversations. She really, really hates childish things. She's always been that way. And so for her to be able to have this experience to age mix is really helpful. Even though she is in a school setting now, she participates in a lot of our homeschooling activities outside of her school day. And so she's given a lot of opportunity to still experience it. And yeah, she's even kind of borderline thinking about homeschooling again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about your daughter for a second, because like for parents who are like me, you know, whose kids are in school, but you want to explore it. What might that look like? So your daughter's in a school system. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about the type of school she's in and what she's doing and then a little bit about the extra stuff that you're exposing her to outside of school? Sure. Yeah. So she wanted to have a guaranteed way of seeing friends on a day-to-day basis. And homeschooling during COVID does not really provide that. So it's not really a big surprise to me that school was attractive for her, right? So we made sure to pick a school that had as much freedom as possible. Now, ultimately, I would have picked self-directed learning school, like a democratic school or a Sudbury school, and you can look these up. They're all just modeled off of the unschooling principles. So like a lot of freedom and a lot of autonomy and the kids kind of make a lot of the rules. I would have liked that setting for her, but that doesn't exist in Tucson. So to get something similar, I just looked for a school that is, it draws a certain type of family It's just open. It promotes a lot of individuality. It's all about creativity. The grades are very fluid. It's more about participation than it is about how well you did on something. And it's based more on your own growth, not on growth of other people. So it's not like comparing you to the rest of your class. It's a school for gifted kids. And it is a school that I worked at before. So I feel like she's in a space where she knows a lot of the people. So she feels really comfortable and cozy there. And that's all that I care about. And so the way that I make that work with unschooling is that I don't have any expectations of her. 
her schooling is her choice. I support her as much as she wants me to support her, but she chooses whether she does her homework. (laughs) I'm not hounding her Mm -hmm. over homework. She gets to decide what kind of grade she's going to get in school. She gets to decide whether she stays in school or doesn't. She tells me if she needs a break from school. So she's had a couple of mental health days where we just said, sorry, she's not going to be at school today. She just needs to relax and be home. And I just support all of those choices. The funny thing is she's a much more persistent student than she's ever been because it's all based on her wanting it. She's choosing it. So she's actually much more actively involved in in making sure she has all the things she needs for her day and it's interesting to see. It's, it's very, yeah. very different from our experience prior to homeschooling. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, the yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just leave it at yeah. that. Are there things that, and I know every state has a little bit of different rules and regulations around what's required. Are there resources that people could go to find out more? Like if I'm, I know you talked about de-schooling, but even prior to that, like figuring out what's even allowed in my state. I know every state has different kind of rules. Is that true? Is there a place that I could go to find out what's required? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really amazing resource. It's called hslda.org. And basically, you can just click on your state and it gives you the complete rundown of like what's required, how to how to deregister and how to register as a homeschooler for your state, what requirements there are. And it's really thorough. I really recommend starting there for the legal stuff. And when it comes to like just understanding more about how kids learn and if you're open to a mindset shift and really, really digging deep and learning more about alternatives to the traditional and conventional way of learning, I have a list of self-directed books and podcasts and articles on my website, and I can just send that over to you and you can link it up. Yeah, do that. And I'll put it in the show notes. People can link right up to that. That would be great. Let's talk about your podcast and your directory and your website. So tell me more. Rogue Learner is the name of the podcast. We'll start there and kind of work our way down. What might someone find? I mean, people here are listening to podcasts. So Mm -hmm. if someone came over to Rogue Learner, what might they learn about or hear about at the Rogue Learner podcast? Yeah, so we really focus on everything related to self-directed education. And so that looks like micro schools, world schooling, unschooling, and the psychology also of anything related to neurodiversity. I've had psychologists on the show. In general, it's mostly about self-directed learning and how to reframe your mindset about how children learn and how our relationships could be better with our kids. And it's really about connection and communication. And there's some really amazing people that I've interviewed who have been researching this far longer than I have even been alive. So Mm. (laughs) it's mostly about self-directed education, but there's also some episodes in there just about child activism and how to just have a yeah a better relationship with your family and your kids. And then you reinforce that with some resources on a directory, the Rogue Learner directory, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. And I go there all the time and there are so many things. I had no idea, by the way, that there were that many options to consider and it's a little overwhelming. So yeah. <laughs> when people come to your directory, 
how might I use the directory to help me frame and support my educational pathway? Sure. Yeah. So there's a couple different ways. There's curriculums on there if you're all about that, which self-directed learners don't use overarching curriculum. But there are curriculums out there that are just specifically for literature or for science. And if your kiddo is totally into those things, you might actually consider getting a curriculum to just use as a guideline or, you know, a framework or like maybe if you're not into science, it would just give you something to offer to your kid. So there's curriculums on there. And then there's just tons of resources regarding every subject you can imagine. So it's categorized by subject, but you can also filter it by age and So let's say your child is into music and you just type in music on the homepage on the search bar and everything that has anything to do with music. So apps, podcasts, websites, curriculums, anything like that will pop up. And so you can filter through them and look and discover ones that work for your family and that maybe your kid is interested in. Kids can also use the directory. It's actually built with them in mind. So if they, you know, are like, total techies. They should be able to find YouTube channels about tech or podcasts. And I'm always adding to it. So it's like a growing body of work and other people can add to it as well. So if you find something, a resource that you really love, you can either add it if it's not already on there, or if it is added to the directory already, you can rate it and review it so that other people know that it's good or helpful. Yeah. It is so nice because it feels like all those things are in one place. Yeah. It feels like a little, it's my own little Wikipedia of sorts of my own little Google in the learning space. That's for sure. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to highlight in terms of if someone was interested in following you, connecting with you, how might they do that? Yeah. So I have a couple ways. I'm on Instagram at rogue.learner. Yeah. I post about like things that we're doing and I try to be inspirational and motivating to other people who are starting out in their path and connect with other people so that we can all kind of share our experiences and learn from each other. And then there's also a Facebook private group. It's uh, just also Rogue Learner. There's a page And the best thing to do is visit the directory. RogueLearner.com is where the directory is hosted, but also the podcast episodes are all on that page as well. So you can listen directly from the website or you can obviously find it on Apple, Spotify, all the all the places, you know. Awesome. Thank you, Jenna. You've been an awesome resource. If any of my listeners, any Sherpas out there are interested in self-directed learning, homeschooling, any of the topics we discussed today, head on over to roguelearner.com and check out not only her website, but also her podcast. Connect with Jenna. She's been an amazing resource. And I just am feeling so lucky to have you in my network because I can ask you questions like this and not feel stupid. You've always treated me with the utmost respect in all of the things that I'm trying to figure out. So thank you for that as well. Oh, yes, of course. We all are begin. I'm still learning. And every single time somebody asks me a question, it helps me reinforce what I believe, actually. So I have to think and it's great. So please feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to answer emails and to connect on Instagram or Facebook. So yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Heidi. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jenna. I love this episode. I have seven key takeaways from this episode. Number one, there's not one right way to practice education. The right way is the one that's best for the learner and supports their interests. Number two, 
There are many approaches to homeschooling, from replicating formal school to self-directed learning or unschooling, and an assortment in between. Self-directed education is based on respect and autonomy. The learner is free to weigh in on what, where, how, and to design their own educational journey. The parent is less of a teacher and more of a facilitator or resource finder. Number three, Jenna shared one way to get over the fear was to look at her own journey and all the things she learned because she had a desire to do so. We all have innate desires. What did you learn in your life that was driven by your own curiosity rather than a teacher or a curriculum? Number four, achievement benchmarks are neither an indicator of success or failure in life. We learn what we need to learn when we need to learn it. Number six, an early learning from homeschool was the tone of communication and the relationship between parent and child became much richer. She was having deeper conversations with her kids about their interests and deeper desires as opposed to nagging them to get their schoolwork done. Ironically, even with her daughter back in school, interest-led learning is still motivating her daughter to advance her own learning journey and the nagging has not continued. Number seven, if you are interested in a different approach to education, Jenna strongly recommends, requires, you must do this, spend a month for each year spent in the school system de-schooling. It's a period of time to unlearn and give each person the permission to do nothing. Discover what you are truly interested in. What do they love? The focus during this time is to just be kids and focus on connection. And finally, Jenna shared several resources, which are linked in the show notes to help dive deeper into self-directed learning, share resources to connect and answer some legal questions you might have based on the conversation we had in this episode. Whether or not homeschooling is your thing or not, I hope this episode exposes you to new opportunities and inspires you to consider a different approach to learning. I'm excited to spend much of our holiday break practicing the principles of unschooling and reconnecting as a family. If you'd like to connect with Jenna, she's an amazing resource. And if she doesn't know the answer, she can likely connect you to someone who does. Until next week, I hope you guys have a fabulous holiday season. Keep on adventuring and hopefully you'll have lots of time to connect as a family. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.